Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Freddie Hayward, a political correspondent. Now, we've been digging around yet again in our virtual mailbag and have brought a few questions from you to discuss. So I'm going to go first. Um, this is a question we actually got from a YouTube listener who goes by WootenPQ9FF. And they ask, with all the disarray and rebellion in the Tory party, what's the likelihood of a confidence vote anytime soon? And this is a well-timed question because mm-hmm. it follows the former minister, Simon Clark's piece in The Telegraph earlier this week, calling on Rishi Sunak to go. Uh, He wrote that the party faces an electoral massacre under his leadership and warned extinction is a very real possibility for our party. He said he does not get what Britain needs and he is not listening to what the British people want. And instead of conviction, we have convention. Um, And there's a long list of asks in this piece Mm -hmm. for Sunak to focus on from migration crackdown to house building to public service reform. Um, I mean, how fair is the piece, Freddie? I thought it was quite a good piece. I thought (laughs) Labour should probably take note. There's some good lines in there that they could probably use. Um, well, there's one that really reflects Labour's line, you know, that he doesn't understand Britain. Yeah, which that Labour caused got, got some in a bit controversy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was fascinating. What was more interesting in many ways was the fact that not many people came out following the piece and supported Simon Clark. I found it slightly strange because it seemed as if he hadn't notified people like uh, Liz Truss or some of the other mm. big uh, traditional re- rebels within the party. They essentially disowned him. And I think there was, you know, lots of condemnation on Tory WhatsApp groups saying that, you know, we're so we're doing so poorly on the polls now. It's not the time to disunify uh, the party. But it was interesting, uh, what, you know, going to the question whether there will be a confidence vote soon. Uh, no, I don't think there will be. Uh, you need 53 letters essentially sent to the 1922 committee for there to be a confidence um, vote in Rishi Sunak. Now, the key thing is that there's not much time for the rebels to build up that number Mm. before the next election. You can't really do it, obviously, a month or two months out. Um, So now it would have to be now, and I don't think there is enough people in the party to do so. Yeah, because Simon Clark has since said, you know, he was speaking for himself. He wasn't sort of representing... A, a wider, Only himself, a wider movement. Yeah. Um, can you explain to our listeners sort of where he sits in the Tory firmament? Because he was a he was a Liz Truss minister, wasn't he, for le- levelling up? Yeah, he's very much one of those sort of free market Trussite Tories. He was also supportive of Boris Johnson, but you know his hobby horses are deregulation in the housing uh, sector. He wants lower taxes. He sort of he comes from that wing of the party, mm-hmm. and I think that wing have been very frustrated with Rishi Sunak because they see him more of a fiscal conservative. He's more concerned about not borrowing too much to, for instance, fund tax cuts, as Liz, Liz trusted. 
Um, and they've been slightly disappointed on on housing and other things. They're, they're essentially saying that the party is stagnating. We look at the polls and, as he said, we're facing electoral massacre, which is true. You know, they might narrow as we go towards the election, but as they are right now, it's extremely a dire situation for the Conservatives. And they're essentially saying we need to do something radical to change that. Now, there's a question over whether Simon Clark's article was fully sincere. Was it really about saying to the party, look, we need a new prime minister? David Gork, um, who writes a column for us, he wrote an interesting piece this week, which essentially said that because it's completely unrealistic to replace Rishi Sunak, and even if they did that, why on earth would that help the Conservative Party with their, their dire polling? People hate the party. They hate the past 14 years. They hate the fact that the public realm is uh, collapsing. They hate Boris Johnson. They hate Liz Truss. So it's not as if you know getting rid of Rishi Sunak will solve their problems. Given all that, what's Simon Clark actually doing? Well, perhaps he's trying to shift blame for the forthcoming election loss onto Rishi Sunak. Simon Clark, as I said, a member of Boris Johnson's government, uh, a key ally of Liz Truss, uh, he doesn't want the, those those prime ministers and their agendas to be blamed. He'll want Rishi Sunak's agenda to be blamed. Mm -hmm. And if we can create the, if he can create the narrative now that it's Rishi Sunak who lost the, the election and it wasn't party gate and it wasn't the mini budget, which is actually when we saw the polling collapse, then it puts him in a better place and his faction in a better place to reclaim the party after the next election. Yeah. I mean, this is where I, I actually do agree with Simon Clark in some of his piece because he... He says, you know, we should have got him on, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this is the Simon Clark fan club, because um, he he makes the point, you know, which has come across very strongly from Tory MPs since the the piece came out that it might some might feel it's ridiculous to change leader again, and you you outlined all of the different leaders that we've had in in a very short space of time. But actually, I don't I don't know if that necessarily the public may think it looks like chaos, but I don't know if it necessarily would be worse for them to do that. Mm. Because sometimes what you hear from people is, well, at least Liz Truss had the good grace to resign when when she messed things up. Mm. Um, and, you know, people will be used to in their own workplaces, people going if they're not succeeding. Um, and so I think it's 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 not necessarily the worst idea in the world. I remember speaking to John Curtis, the, um, the polling expert, um, about this. And it was when Rishi Sunak was polling ahead of the Conservative Party and seemed to be sort of the one good thing in their favour. And yeah. he was saying, you know, what's untested in terms of previous elections that we might compare the upcoming one to is is what the effect of a new leader has on people's perceptions of a party. And so, you know, it's not completely out there that if they changed a leader, then it might give them better prospects. It's just that who would that be? I still think um, that question is open. Um, well, it was interesting, isn't it? Because Rishi Sunak is a new leader. He yeah. hasn't been in the job for that long. Yeah. Um, but the problem was, as Simon Clark puts it in his piece, he was an asset for the party. Now he's an anchor. Yeah. Uh, so I think the question for uh, a new leader would be how quickly would they be tarnished by the party? Yeah. And that's what happened to which Rishi is, Sunak. Which is what's happened to him. Yeah. And he, what he failed to do, and he should have done in his first speech outside of Downing Street, is disown Boris yeah. Johnson's... Uh, lack of probity in office and disowned Liz Truss's chaotic approach to the economy. He didn't do so. He, he prioritised uniting the party. And I think uh, he's seen the consequences of that now. Yeah. And over the Privileges Committee report on yeah. Boris Johnson, I mean, he should have done he should have done what Starmer's done with Corbyn and, you know, yeah. actively We've changed actively yeah. um, uh, denounced that Johnson premiership. And then there's this other question about how many rebels are there within the party? As you say, Simon Clark, you didn't get that much support, but we have seen this new group, which they, I think they're calling themselves the Conservative Britain Alliance, um, 
who we don't really know who's in it, but they're essentially funding these polls that are going into the Telegraph. And Andrew Marr wrote a great cover story this week on how the uh, the right wing press aren't supporting the Conservative Party in the way that they used to and the mm. problems that's causing. So you've got this new group we saw, Will Dry, uh, release a statement. He, he was a number 10 uh, polling spat. Mm-hmm. He resigned just before Christmas because he essentially said the situation is so bad, the Conservative Party faces oblivion, particularly if Farage comes back before the next election. Now, the Times have been reporting as well that around 10 MPs who are working with this group of this alliance, whatever whatever you want to call them, these group of donors or these, you know, these former spads, who are essentially trying to fight for the party. And they, they're saying, look, the situation is so bad, we have to do something. So the question for them is how much support they have within the party and whether they can build uh, enough uh, support with, amongst the parliamentary party before the next election to act. Now, I don't think they will necessarily, but uh, we do know that they've sort of set themselves up for the fight after the next election. Uh, and we also know that they're probably going to distract from Rishi Sunak's agenda in the next few months. Yeah. OK, um, after the break, it's your turn to pick the next question. Can you give us a clue on what's coming up? It's about the, the traps that the Conservative Party are laying for Labour. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. So, Freddie, what's the question? This is a question from another YouTube listener, Paul, who writes... Please could you help us understand how the Conservatives assaulting the earth or laying traps for Labour strategy will be seen by voters? Will it reinforce the view that they've run out of ideas or do voters not really pick up on these things? What do you think, Anoush? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, um, this listener has picked up on something that is happening. Yeah. Um, so the main traps seem to be this £19 billion worth of departmental cuts, um, which are supposed to come in by 2027, 20, 28, mm. which are basically seen as a fiction. And actually, the head of the OBR um, was speaking this week, and he said the lack of these details for the years ahead on on, on spending in those departments um, meant that the OBR's forecasts were beyond a work of fiction, mm. because they're know, not even it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's a problem for Labour, because if the Tories use that money to make tax cuts, then Labour might have to reverse them in order to, to put some more spending into those yeah. public services. Um, councils are going bankrupt. That's something, you know, that's, uh, I mean, it's already happening, but it's going to be a big bomb that goes off under Labour. The selling off of HS2 land, which means that Labour can't really reverse those HS2 plans because that stuff is being sold off quite mm, cheaply. I'm quite happy about that one. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it gives them an excuse, doesn't yeah. it, whenever they're asked about what they do on HS2. Um and also all of these policies that make life harder for foreign students being here means that universities um, could start going bankrupt as mm-hmm. well. That's something that one Labour um, shadow minister described to me as a poison pill. So they are aware that some of these traps are being laid along the line. And you can read about more of them in Will Dunn, our business editor's excellent piece on Jeremy Hunt's plan for chaos. Mm. I mean, there's all sorts in there from childcare to student debt to all of these things. Oh, the, the, the social care reforms have been pushed to October 2025, for example, and also charging imports on um, EU goods coming in 
which has been delayed five times already. That's something that Labour eventually will have to bring in and that's going to put food prices up and other prices up. So there's there's all of these things. Our listener is right, but I'm not sure necessarily if the public picks up on it now as a sort of the Conservatives are running out of ideas. I think the risk is that they pick up on it when the actual uh, impact of it is playing out in their lives under the next government, which is kind of the idea for laying traps. And and the Tories are not alone in doing this. You know, other governments do it as well, trying to make life as difficult as possible for their likely successors. Yeah. Is it laying traps or is it just not taking responsibility for the problems of the country at the moment um, because they're focused on the election? I think... You're right to say that the public won't necessarily notice that the Conservatives are laying traps as such, but they will notice, I think, that the Conservatives aren't necessarily grasping the problems that are facing the country. They will recognise that there are endemic problems within the public realm, uh, that the Brexit agreement isn't perhaps as good as it should be, that local councils aren't performing as well as they should be. So they recognise the problems and they'll recognise that that's happened under a Tory government. And I think it also provides Labour with the narrative that, look, we had a really bad inheritance. We have all these problems that were left to us by a Conservative government. We need the time uh, to fix them. Now, I think what's really interesting, given that 19 or £18 billion black hole in the public finances that's penciled in, but the government won't talk about or explain where they want to come from. Neither is Labour, though. So they're sort of waiting and they say, on all their fiscal policy, look, we don't really know what the economy is going to be like when we inherit it. Therefore, we need to wait and see before we set out full spending plans. Okay, fine. However, what they're also doing, which I found utterly remarkable in recent weeks, is that Rachel Reeves is sort of mooting the idea that she wants to reduce taxes on working people. Yeah. If you've got an £18 billion black hole, you can't really reduce taxes on working people unless you increase uh, borrowing a lot or you increase taxes on the wealthy, which she's also ruled out. So so they're sort of fixing themselves into a bind here because I think Labour need to recognise the fact that you need to win a mandate for what you do in office. You need to build consensus. You need to explain to people this is going to happen. This is going to be bad. You need to be ready for it. If they suddenly come out having sort of suggested to people that taxes might be uh, reduced on working people under a Labour government, once they're in office, they say, look, to be honest, the situation is so bad we have to raise taxes. Well, people will go, well, you promised you were going to cut them. Yeah. It's the same on things like migration. Keir Starmer has said explicitly, as he did at the CBI last year, that he wants immigration to fall. Yeah. Is he going to do that? Well, is he going to take the economic hit that that entails? Is he going to invest in the skills uh, and provide support to businesses that they'll need if they're not got this, uh, or they can't rely on this immigration dependency, as, as Keir Starmer calls it? Is he going to do that? I'm not sure. So I think Labour needs to recognise that expectation and reality, they do have to align sometimes. Mm. On immigration, I think that they're hoping um, that the fact that a lot of the recent figures are down to one-offs, like yeah. the Ukraine refugee scheme, Hong Kong scheme, and also the fact that there's been this lag in terms of um, foreign students after COVID, and that will work its way through the system so the numbers will automatically come down. They certainly yeah. don't have a plan for for cutting it beyond hoping that the figures will just be like more flattering to a Labour mm. government once they come in. Yeah, so you're had, absolutely right. A shadow minister said that to me last night and I said, uh, well, we'll point that out in the press. And they, said, <laughs> they just said, well, we'll, we'll just keep saying it. <laughs> so we'll see who wins. So, okay. Also, you know, there may be other conflicts where you need to bring people in. I, I don't think it's necessarily a sustainable no, thing to rely on. Good point. And then on... Uh, stopping the boats as well, as we discussed last time, the boats aren't just going to stop because Keir Starmer enters number 10. They're still going to have to address the issue. Now, I think there is some confidence within Labour that the Europeans might be slightly more amenable to a deal. They think the French are key to that and 
um, following the Brexit years, many they think that many people in Europe have essentially written off the Conservative government, not necessarily because they're insincere, uh, but because they're just completely unpredictable. So therefore, you can't deal, deal with them. So they hope, I think, that if they can get a better deal with the French, then that might stop the boats. Because the right-wing press aren't going to be in any way less enthusiastic about stopping the boats just because the Labour government is in. No, they'll, they'll hit them with it day after day. So Labour will have to solve that, I think. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send one, you can just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, you can scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply and YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian and my colleague, Freddie Hayward. We'll be back next week. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.